Good morning and Merry Christmas. It looks a little Christmassy around here, doesn't it? And uh, happy birthday to Lisa, too. Today's her birthday. Well, December birthday, you got to feel special if you was born in this month. Uh, well, good morning. Well, what a wonderful time of worship. I love this time of year. It's my favorite time of the year. As you know, we've been going through uh, <clears throat> the, the Nativity narrative for a few weeks. And I tell you, you're not going to go too far in reading about the birth of Jesus without at least stopping at some point in probably the most messianic prophet of the Old Testament. Some of you know who I'm talking about. I'm speaking of Isaiah. An interesting thing about Isaiah, everything he prophesied about the coming Messiah would rest for 900 years in his scrolls until it would all come to pass. And it's not surprising that once those prophecies began to be fulfilled, and we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 9 if you want to go ahead and turn there, um, it's not at all surprising that when Jesus has his first opportunity to speak in his hometown synagogue, he was actually invited to speak, that it was the scroll of Isaiah that he unrolled. And I don't know where it was maybe at at the time it was handed to him, but he almost had to go all the way to the end of this scroll. It's a very long prophecy to what we know as Isaiah 61. And he read those profound words in his hometown synagogue. Uh, Wednesday night, I shared some thoughts about one's life mission. And uh, it was a kind of a comparative setting about our life mission in relationship to the life mission of Jesus. Uh, As I pointed out Wednesday night, when these messianic prophecies began to be fulfilled, Jesus did not launch his public ministry until he was 30 years of age. Not 21, not 25, but 30. And he would fulfill his mission, his life mission, in a span of 42 months. 42 months. Now, how, can, how much can you do in 42 months? Well, according to John, he did so much that John used this hyperbole to express the magnitude of what Jesus did and what he said. He said, if we tried and attempted to write everything we heard him say and everything we saw him do, the books of the entire world would not be able to hold it. I would say he probably was pretty busy those 42 months. But, I mean, look at them. They, they were like together all the time. He and those 12 men and other people. You know, we see people inviting him to their house, and we don't think that when you invite him, you're inviting like an entourage, like maybe two dozens of people. We know that there was other people that traveled along with them, so uh, that little excursion into Bethany, uh, they were really had a hostess spirit because, <laughs> uh, you know, we like for you to come, but can you get them to do something else? Because that was a lot of food to prepare. But he accomplished his ministry in 42 months. That's amazing, is it not? I, I used that word several times Wednesday night. Now think about this. Next week, 
we're going to have our missions emphasis, and we call it Christmas around the world. We kind of couple our missions emphasis with Christmas because this is, the, this is the reality. All the people we're supporting is connected to the narrative of what Jesus, his life mission. The good news of what Jesus did and what he said is going to the ends of the earth through men and women and young people who have sensed a call and in reality, as Brad shared earlier in Sunday, they're being, they really are sent. They're sent to those places. They're called, but then after they sense the call, they're sent out to these nations to be his voice, preaching the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we call them missionaries. Now think about it. In that light, Jesus is the ultimate missionary, is he not? Heaven's missionary. In fact, sometimes they, there's one place in Hebrews he's called the apostle of heaven. Someone who is sent to this earth on a mission to rescue us. Now I'm going to take you to Isaiah 9. This is a familiar text. Uh, you've heard it probably in plays and dramas, and we're looking forward in a couple of weeks to our children doing a Christmas drama. This is Isaiah 9, verse 6, if you found it. Unto us a child is born. You recognize these words? Unto us a son is given. And if you don't think this is messianic, just listen. And the government will be on his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. I don't know, when I, when I read those words, i like, that cannot come too soon to our world, can it? <laughs> to establish judgment and justice from time forward and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. There's no doubt that that is a messianic prophecy because on the throne of David and over his kingdom. This is what Messiah was to do. He was going to be a, he is going to be a descendant of David. He was going to ascend to the throne of Israel, and it would be the ultimate kingdom of God on earth to accomplish it. But I want you, if you're there at Isaiah, now I want you to stay right there. I want you to look a few verses ahead of this because this verse is basically at the core of what I'm sharing with you this morning. This is actually verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And this morning I'm sharing a message on a great light. Of all the things that surrounds the birth of Jesus, this is a phenomenal prophecy. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. A light, not just a light, but a great light. And when you think about the different ways that people describe the glory of God, a brilliant, bright, glorious, a, a blinding light as Saul of Tarsus witnessed when Jesus revealed himself to him. This is a defining term, light, for the glory of God, of God's presence. And the ancestors of Messiah that was coming out of Egypt, out of 400 years, most of them under slavery. 
when they were coming out, God appeared to them in two ways. A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. The fire was just not to warm them on cool nights. It was to light the way for them in darkness. And so that was kind of like a type of Christ. They saw not just a flickering lamp, but a pillar of fire that was recognizable every night. And it wasn't permanent. It was to get them from where they were to where they were supposed to be. And isn't that what the light of Jesus is all about? It's to get us from where we are to where we're supposed to be. And he is the permanent light. He is always shining. This, is their, this was their light. This was a light for their travel. But we have the true light. The true purpose of that light is to give us in darkness hope, purpose, and meaning. I was in conversation Wednesday night after the service with a couple of people about Helen Keller and the amazing story of Helen Keller and Ann Sullivan, how someone who could not see, could not hear, how do you describe things to her with no reference points as to what blue, red, white, no visuals that she could connect to other than maybe her sense of feel. And these terms, in the darkness of her not seeing, what an amazing thing it was for her to have what she had through the course of her life, to overcome all of that. But oh, for the first glimpse of light. You know, there's a man in the Bible, and I'm going to kind of merge Wednesday night with this morning. So... For you that were here Wednesday night, it's bonus time for you. But there was a person in John 9 that was the same way as Helen Keller. Except he wasn't deaf, but he was blind. And he was born that way, meaning he had never witnessed sight of any of the beauty of our world around us. And as Jesus is talking To his disciples, there's a little conversation there, and they're wondering why this guy was born blind. Was it effective as sin of his parents and all this? And and, uh, right before Jesus spit on the ground, made a little bit of a dab of mud, and put on the man's eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And, And when he washed the mud off, he could see. But, you know, the tragedy of that was that it was on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to wash mud off your eyes on Sabbath. But here he is, he, he gets this sight for the first time. Now, between what Jesus discussed with the disciples and, and him healing this man, he makes some interesting statements. He says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. This is John 9, 4. As long as it is the day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Just as this man was seeing for the first time, Jesus was using this to say, but there's a lot of people that think they can see, but they're really blind. And I've come to bring them light. Think about earlier in John's gospel. John chapter 1. Unlike Isaiah's writing forward thinking, and I don't know if he even came with any any idea that it would be 900 years before what he was writing. He probably thought it was going to be a lot sooner than that. 
But John took the life of Jesus looking backwards and he wrote an account of the life of Christ. You've heard these words before. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Now, what I'm about to read, do you you have John 1 open at all? was talking about, you know, I tell you, somebody blessed me and affirmed me this morning, and I'm not joking, this is actual, because when we see that bulletin, Sometimes I look on the back and it says sermon notes, and I was like, I wonder who uses that. Someone actually told me today they use it. <laughs> I was like, come on now. I don't know, that blessed me. I was like, I, I, I wonder if they, you know, are doing something else, doodling on it, but they actually are taking notes. That's awesome. But if, you, if you're there at John 1, I want to tell you, after you get to verse 3, look at the prominence of this word in the following verses. Are you there? In him was life. He's already talked about the Logos being with Theos and and that the two were actually one. That Jesus, the Logos, is Theos, is God. And John writes this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He says, the life in Jesus creates a light within people. And as we were singing about uh, the breath of God breathing into us, I was thinking, every time you breathe into me, Lord, you lighten me up. You lighten my eyes. You make me see clear. You help me to understand what's in front of me. It is not just eternal life. It is life that opens the prism of what's true and righteous. And I was thinking, Lord, every time you breathe on us, you bring light, not just life, you bring light to us. In verse 5, and the light shines in the darknesses. Isn't that where we always need light? Is when we can't see, when we don't understand. This is there that we need the revelation of God, is it not? And he says, the light shines in the darkness. The darkness does not comprehend it. It does not recognize it sometimes. He says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's referring to John Baptist. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, capital L. The light, Jesus. John was not the light, but he was one that pointed people to the light to say, there's the light. And all through him, through him might believe. He came as a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him, through Jesus, might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. And this is what I like about verse 9. That was the true light. The true light. It's almost like he's telling us there's Light that masquerades as truth, but is not. And you don't have to go too far in our world to see that there's a lot of truth being masqueraded as truth, but it's not truth. The true light is Jesus. As much as I think it was neat for Pope Francis to have an interfaith meeting with Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists, that's very nice. I wanted to say, they don't believe like you believe. 
They don't believe about Jesus what you believe about Jesus, and either Jesus is the, the way, the truth, the life, or he's not. And I'm, I understand what people want to do with interfaith. I have no desire to go hang out and join hands and sing Kumbaya with people who don't believe in Jesus like I believe in. He is either the light, the light, or he's not the light. Can be either or. It has to be one or the other. He's the true light, and I like this, that gives light to every man coming into the world. He is the radiance of God beaming into the souls of darkened men and darkened women, darkness of sin. He beams his light into the darkness of one soul so that they can know the truth. Light shines in darkness. So many don't comprehend that light that's in their presence. They're blinded. They're blinded not this way, but they're blinded in their souls. And John Baptist came as a witness to the light. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness. And Jesus is that true light. We don't dispute in any way that Jesus is the brilliant light of God in our dark world. But in his conversation with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus thought he was okay, but he knew that maybe something's not okay, and that's why he sought the Lord out. He, he didn't understand the dynamics of being born again. And Jesus is talking to him about being reborn, being born from above. And, and you, we all know John 3.16, right? That God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son who is the light. That whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. But verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It's tragic when people witness in a condemning way. That Why would we do that? Because that's not what God does. That's not, he, he doesn't bring condemnation. But he says that people are already under condemnation. If you're there, listen to what verse 18 says. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who believes in Jesus is released from a shame culture. There's a lot of shame in people's lives that they're, they're trying to get rid of, but the only way to get rid of it is receive the light of Jesus into your soul. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He's not believed in the light that has been revealed to him. And this is the condemnation. This is verse 19. Listen, this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world in the form of Jesus, right? The light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. This is all in a conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. But he who does the truth comes to the light. There's a welcoming of light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been, that they have been done in God. The very function of light is resisted by those who don't want exposure. And they say, no, someone has said, I've heard this said, light is a disinfectant. One of our challenges here is to keep these poinsettias 
looking halfway decent for the next few weeks because they're, they're fragile. Maybe we overwater them, but uh, sometimes we leave these lights right here on just because they need light. Light restores. It's like a jaundiced baby. What did they do with a jaundiced baby? Put the baby under light. It's, it's light brings life. It, life restores. But also light. When you turn the light on, you see, you know, you know, especially if you go do some painting in your house and you flip the light on, you're like, whoa, we missed all those spots because light exposes the deficiencies, does it not? And this is why people don't want the light of the Lord shining on them. They don't want to see the reality of their life. And even Jesus said himself, people don't like the light. He says, I come as a light. You don't like me because I'm a light in your life shining where there's exposure of things you don't want to face. He echoed what John the Apostle would write years later. Light has arrived in the dark world. And if men would allow, this this light would bring meaning and purpose to one who's locked away in spiritual darkness. Christmas is the celebration of light. Christ is the true light. I love the lights at Christmas. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Jesus said the world will connect the dots between us and him. He said if the world hates me, They'll hate you if you follow me. If they resisted me, the ones who resisted me will resist you because if you reflect who I am, they will not want to have anything to do with you. And he makes this strong declaration in Matthew 5, another scripture I use Wednesday night. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I was listening to uh, Luke earlier this morning, not not anything part of my message, but I, I realized that Luke shared part of this and he added more things that Jesus said about this. And this is in Luke 11. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in and may see the light. The lamp, the lamp is of the body is the eye. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body also is full of light. But when your eye is bad... Your body is also full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. This is Luke 11, 33 through 36. Take heed. In other words, you have have a say in this. You have a determining factor in this. Take heed of what your eyes are about. That the light that is in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. You know, one of the things I like about Christmas is it is, it is a celebration of lights. Now, the Griswolds are the standard for light. 
And uh, we, we don't have anything in our yard yet, Brenda. So we're not very, we're not very good right now. But we're, com- we're going to get there. I'm, I'm a little bit of a cheapskate, too, though. I, I don't like to see my electric bill be too high. But I love the lights. Is, I think this is, isn't this the most decorated holiday we have? I mean, I, I, I wished I could say I had the joy of Christmas pulling that Christmas tree out of the attic. It is, it is an enormously heavy box. So I'm staggering through the garage to get it. Just a lovely experience for me. <laughs> but how do you like the foyer? You know, isn't that nice? It's just, we just, I love this. I love the colors of Christmas, the, the poinsettias. I, I guess I got it from my, my mother absolutely loved Christmas. She is almost at the Griswold level, but not there, you know. But it's just all the lights, and, and it's to tell us that this day matters to us. But when you think about it, he tells us that we are the light of the world. We are the light like he's the light. How does that work? This is the Lord decoration to his followers. Light, light defines us. When he says you are light, he didn't say try to be light. He says you are light. And we have something to say as to how that light shines or it doesn't shine, right? When he says let your light so shine. I want to share with you, this is, I brought my favorite devotional Bible in here with me. And I'm going to share something with you. A devotion. It's uh, some people have looked at this. It's called the Classic Devotional Bible, and it's got contributions from people through all Christian history. And this is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, his book, The Cost of Discipleship, and it's titled in this devotion, The Property of Light. I don't know how many times I've read this. Every time I read it, I says it fits Matthew five. You're the light of the world. Let your light so shine among people. Listen to how he described light. He said, the call of Jesus makes the disciple community, he's talking about the community of faith, not only the salt, but also the light of the world. Their activity is visible as well as imperceptible. You are light, quote, they are already the light because Christ has called them. And they are a light which is seen of men that cannot be otherwise. And if they were, it be a sign that they had not been called, they would not be light. How impossible, how utterly absurd it would be for the disciples, these disciples, such as men as these, to try and become the light of the world. How absurd it would be for us to say, you know what? I think I'm going to become the light of the world. That always makes you think that you're the source. And we're not, we are absolutely not the source of this light. No, they are already the light and the call has made them so. He says when you're called by the Lord to himself, you are light because of that call. I'm not talking about calling into ministry. He's not talking about it. He's being called to the Lord in faith. Nor does Jesus say, you have the light. The light is not an instrument. 
which has been put into their hands, such as their preaching. It is the disciples themselves. You are the light. The same Jesus who, speaking of himself, said, I am the light, says to his followers, including us, you are the light in your whole existence, provided you remain faithful to your calling. And since you are that light, you can no longer remain hidden, even if you want to. It is the property of light to shine. And it's kind of like the phrase, if a tree falls in the forest and no one is there to hear it. Well, of course it makes a sound, then people argue that. But if you cannot see a light, is it really light? And this is his point. It is the property of light to shine. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. It can be seen from miles away, whether it is a fortified, a stronghold, or a tottering ruin. The city set on a hill, think of like Jerusalem on high, is the disciple community. It is the community of believers. But this is not to say that the disciples have now to make their first decision. The only necessary decision has already been taken. Now they must be what they really are. Think about that. They must be what they really are. Otherwise, they are not followers of Jesus. The followers are a visible community, their discipleship visible in action, which lifts them up out of the world. Otherwise, it would not be discipleship. And I, was just, I wasn't thinking about this connection earlier. But what we do with Forester Gardens... Just wonder in what, in what way do we let our light shine? And I think Brad made some excellent points when he was sharing about the vision of the youth ministry. Is that people who say, my life is my witness. That's, that's a good thing to, to say. But he didn't say that the Living of a good life is the power of God into salvation. He says the preaching of the gospel is the power of God into salvation. So in what way do we let our light shine? By being good people? Or is there more to it than that? I don't think Jesus came just to live a moral life. He did that, right? The highest and a sinless life. He could have said, I'm just going to live three and a half years in front of people, show them how a good person lives that has a connection with God, and maybe they will just mimic. No, he says, You have to come to me, and he has to like, take residence in your heart. And when that happens, who he is, you become part of that. Because he is light, and you come to him in faith, you become an expression of his light. We're not a light in and of ourselves. We are light because he comes into us and we shine because he's living in us. If darkness is in your light, according to this, it doesn't have to stay there. Right? The passage about the eye, we can hide our sin from other people, but we can't hide our sin from God. And people think sometimes when they 
sufficiently have hidden the shameful things in their lives from, the, from people that that's okay. And, and yet God wants to take the shame out of your life completely by showing you that he does not come to condemn you, but to deliver you. Deliver you from things in your past that you are ashamed of and hope that nobody ever finds out. But he wants to lift that shame off of you. That's, that's the whole reason why he came. Not, not to give you a ticket to heaven and say, well, hope you endure until you get there. It's to have heaven here in our lives through him. God wants his light to shine in you in a way to disinfect us. To purge us, our soul, our tendencies. He wants us entirely soaked in his life and in his light. If the uh, praise team can come back. I said this Wednesday night, let your light so shine. Let, what do you think about, I asked them this question. On Wednesday nights we have back and forth, but. Let your light, what, so what does that say to you? Let your light shine. This is Jesus saying, let your light shine. You are the light of the world. It's almost telling me that the light in you is raging to get out. And the only reason it doesn't is that we, in our, maybe our lack of confidence and our anxieties and our fears or whatever, we're not comfortable shining the light of Jesus to people around us. Light, the light of God is in you. It's yearning to get out of you. It's yearning to shine from you. <laughs> What's holding you back? Why do you delay? What are you waiting for? Why not? Why, why don't we just abandon ourselves today to being light givers, shining, shining light for the Lord, no longer held back by our lack of confidence, our anxieties, our fears. I want to tell you, the Lord can break down your anxieties. The Lord can release you from your fears to strip away grievances and offenses and to release healing and power within us to be his light to our world. Let your light so shine. This has nothing to do with personality. This has nothing to do. It says, well, you know, I'm just not that outgoing person. That's not what he says. He says, let your light shine. And you know, and... A couple of times a year, we go down to Forester Gardens to a place that's just, it's dark. It's a place of crime. It's what Mayor Maddox asked churches in this area, please take on Forester Gardens. We, if it's just to pray and get in there. And he's really saying, let your light shine. We can't police people out of sin. God can set them free. And... I don't know, we hardly have anybody show up to do that surveying, of going door to door. And, and here's the thing, we're giving them a Christmas food basket in a couple weeks. 
they are not upset that we're knocking on their door. And you step into a room and you have a chance to pray with people. Or when we pack the boxes and we have a chance to pray over every box and over every family that's going to enjoy that meal. Or when they come here to get their box and they go to these prayer rooms that we have here at TFA. I've manned one of the prayer rooms, I think, every, just about every time. And, it, and I'm always amazed at how open people are to letting your light shine in them. It doesn't even take any effort. Hey, how many of you want to go down next Saturday night on the strip and do sidewalk witnessing with me? <laughs> any hands? There's one. There's a two. I remember sitting at Bible college and someone says, you need a, a ministry. You got to sign up for a ministry. We go to Dade City every Saturday night and we do witnessing out and where young people hang out. I said, that sounds cool. I'll sign up for that. And they had a prayer meeting in the sanctuary in the tabernacle before they all left. I just bypassed that. Says that can't be this hard. And they ate my lunch, so to speak, in Dade City. I said, now I know why they pray. But once I got a little taste of standing in the darkest of places in a town, looking into the eyes of young people vexed by darkness, just to have an opportunity where they were responsive or not to tell them there's an answer to your situation. And you have to be really called, genuinely stirred of the Lord to do that. It's just that we don't really embrace the idea that we're going to go down to the strip and witness to people. But we can walk into homes. I'm just asking, where do you let your light shine? Where do you let your light shine? Are you willing today, said, Lord, get me past my anxieties, get me past my fears, get me past, listen, get me past my excuses. I want to finally abandon myself to be a light giver to the world in which I live. Would you stand with me?